But this morning, I'm going to kind of focus a little bit on where we pay attention, where we pay attention, what we pay attention to, uh, who we pay attention to. Because what we pay attention to says a lot about us. What we pay attention to says a lot about us, right? And most of us, we think about where you pay attention. It, it tends toward uh, uh, people you look up to, uh, aspire to be like. Uh, focus a lot of times is often on like a celebrity or celebrity culture. In, in, in our culture, it's sort of we look up to celebrities. We, we pay a lot of attention to celebrities, whether that's sports or, or media. Uh, people are attractive, right? They get, they get, they get our attention. Uh, financially well-off people tend to get attention in, in our culture. Uh, the tallest, you know, best athlete at your school, you know, the prettiest girls. We pay attention to those, those things, and it kind of says a lot about us. Also, where we're going. Right? As a kid, I paid a lot of attention to a guy by the name of Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan uh, was a hero, childhood hero, hero of mine, and most of the population, I think. Anyone else Michael Jordan a childhood hero? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, absolutely. A clear childhood hero for me and, and so many others. But a close second person that was like a hero, someone I paid attention to and I looked up to, uh, was a kid a little bit older than me. I'll just call him... Uh, Kirk Davis, because that was his name, and <laughs> and Kirk was the closest thing to Michael Jordan I knew. Again, he was a year or two older than me, um, but he but we played basketball together. We overlapped in some basketball leagues. Uh, we spent a lot of time together at the St. Francis Center gym, kind of where I was just a gym rat at, at you know elementary and middle school. And this guy looked like Michael Jordan to me. And now he, he was a white skinny kid. But besides that, he looked like Michael Jordan. Like he had the shoes, the shorts, the wristband. Like he can shoot and jump. And these really cool one-handed layups that he, that he did. And he also had like kind of this unique, he didn't do a stick his tongue out, but he kind of had this underbite when he played that a lot of people made fun of. But I was like, that's kind of cool, the underbite. And I modeled like a lot of my basketball after, after, after Kirk Davis, right? I mean, I, I aspired Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan's like way up there. That's a hero, of course, paying attention to. But in my home gym, uh, it, was this, it was this kid, Kirk Davis, just again, a couple years older, but I paid attention to the way he dribbled and he moved and how he played defense and the things he said on the court. And I knew he was the best that we knew growing up in, in our sort of circle for a period of time. And I, and I tried to keep up with that. And I actually got a lot better following him, right? Playing basketball with him, alongside of him. And I paid attention to him as much as I could, almost maybe too much sometimes. I was like, oh my gosh, what's Kirk wearing today? How is he doing that? I, I love watching him play basketball. But who we pay attention to, right, says a lot about us. That was my focus in life at that time. Right? That was my prize, that was, that was my goal, to, to be a better basketball player, to, to look something maybe like that. Right? What we pay attention to says a lot about us. And we think about those things that we pay attention to, right? whether that's a, a surfer or, or a girl or it's somebody at, at work or it, it's an idea or it's, it's, you know, it's, it's your house or your, or your future. Where attention goes, energy flows. Right? Where attention goes, energy flows. So if I'm paying a lot of attention at that time in my life toward basketball, toward this particular person, toward this style, that's where my energy was going. That's what I was thinking about, that's what I was training toward, that's what I was working on, that's where I, where I spent a lot of time, right? Where attention goes, energy flows. Again, that could be your job, right? And, and our jobs a lot of times require attention, that you know energy goes there. This is your house you're working on, the, the girl you like, it's baseball or Instagram or, or books or cars or music or, or bars, where, where attention goes, energy flows. It's just sort of part of our, our life. That's not a criticism, it's just a reality of something to think about. Right? Where your attention goes, your energy flows. And the disciples we know, as we follow their story through the Gospels, paid a lot of attention, probably the most attention, to Jesus. 
They paid the most attention to Jesus. And it's almost good if you think about it. He called his first followers like way before smartphones, uh, even newspapers. He might have had a little harder time today. Because when you try to follow Jesus today, there's so many things going on around us. I don't think the disciples had, you know, Little League on weekends, right? It was a good time to come onto the planet. And they stayed around Jesus and they watched Jesus. They listened to Jesus. Luke 9 gives us a good example, a couple of good examples of, of what this looked like in their life. And Luke 9, 18 says this. Once when Jesus was praying in private, right, when, Jesus, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, they would see him praying in private, and yet they were with him. Right? You think private seems like not with anybody, but Jesus was in private, in private, and they were just kind of with him. They're just around. They were just around Jesus. They were watching Jesus. They were paying attention to Jesus. They're like, oh, what should we do? They were just kind of saying, watch Jesus pray in private. But they paid attention to everything. Jesus had spiritual practices. Right? He, was, he was perfect. He was, he was fully God, fully human. But he had spiritual practices himself. He would get away to pray. And the disciples watched. They watched and they watched and they paid attention to these things. It goes on to say a little bit. It says after this, this is in, in, this is in chapter 9, verse 28. It says about eight, eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. Now, Luke is placing this, this story that we're going to go up in this mountain. It's known as a transfiguration story. Uh, this after eight days. And now what after eight days in Luke's, Luke's account is it's after eight days of intense ministry of an intense teaching cycle. Right? The, the, the 12 were sent out to preach themselves. Uh, they fed the 5,000. There was a confession of Peter. Uh, there was a teaching about the cost of those who follow Jesus. Right? And often in times the Gospels, we see Jesus will take time away with his disciples in prayer after such concentrated periods of ministry. Like prayer was in his rotation. Right? And life needs that. Life needs time with God in the rotation. Part of that's Sunday mornings, albeit not very long, but it's something, right? There's a few moments in worship. This is in your rotation to connect with God spiritually. Right? But hopefully that finds itself in other places in your life. Maybe that's weekly. Maybe that's once a year or, or, or every six months. But we all live through these periods of intensity that I, I need to get up to the mountain now. I have to do this. The story goes on like this. He, took a, he takes a, some of his like, closest disciples with him. He goes up to this mountain to pray. He says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, again, Moses and Elijah are long, long gone at this point in time, appeared in, a glorious, in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. When they came awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving, Peter said, Well, Master, is it good for us to be here? Let us put up shelters for each of you. And he said, For one is Moses and one is Elijah. And while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son who I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. This is really like fantastical kind of story. They're going up this mountain to pray. While he's praying, this crazy encounter happens. These guys who were, who were ancients, fathers of the faith, long gone, long dead, right? Moses and Elijah show up and they're having this conversation with Jesus. Right? And it's hard to kind of imagine sometimes these stories in the Bible 
But if you talk to people on the street, and I hear people talk about this all the time, like, oh, I was at my great-grandma's house, and we totally heard something in the attic, and I think, you know, there's a ghost of someone who lives up there. And a lot of people say, oh, I totally believe that. Right? People have no problem with that. Right? Since 2022, the rise of adults who believe in Bigfoot is up to 13%. You laugh, that's a bunch of you in this room. Right? We seem to have no problem with these things sometimes, but when the Bible says something, like, oh, how can that be? The Bible mentions some things that are just hard to understand, and sometimes they need context, and sometimes they're not literal. Right? But we don't always have to reason around these things. So there's this, this, this extreme kind of experience happens. And we're coming out of this stretch, right? which maybe would have been better to organize. Maybe they went too long, and sometimes, like, oh, maybe, maybe should we take you know, two days on, and, and one day off, or three days on, and two days off. Now, that's just not life for most of us, right? You don't get to don't get a call it out that way. We need, but we need to have a rotation. We need to have some kind of break, some kind of pause, right? Uh, pitchers in baseball, right? They're on a rotation. You just can't go every night. Life needs to have prayer in a rotation, time with God in rotation, right? spiritual um, filling in rotation. And time with God in, rot- in, in our rotation, like this idea of rest and connecting with God, it's not just time away from life, but it's time with. Right? It's time with. It's not just getting away from, it's going, who you're going to towards. And Jesus here, and I love this kind of example that, that Jesus sets. He's connecting also with people who understood. So he goes up to spend time, he's, he's praying to his father, but he connects with these guys that, that the Lord sends him as almost like a gift in this time. Right? I don't understand the entire dynamic here of Moses and Elijah figures, how they show up, but they're talking about his departure, his exodus. Like, these are guys who kind of understand the picture. And I believe this was an important pit stop for Jesus. In his earthly ministry, he gets to connect with some people like, oh, yeah, those guys get it. Those guys get this. The disciples didn't know what was happening really at this point. It's going to take them a while. But he's around good people who, who know about this story. You know, Peter wakes up. He's like, well, he knows these guys? And he's getting this sense of he's kind of being filled in his form. His identity, right? he's not just connected with God, but with people. And we need people in this way. We need people who have walked our path well. Right? Moses and Elijah walked their path well, not perfectly, not perfectly, but well. And they could connect with Jesus. Jesus needed connection. He was relational as much as anybody else. Right? One of the first things he does is he starts calling friends to do his ministry with, to pass on, to teach. And he's getting this sort of experience up there, this, this, this like being filled with the Spirit, connecting with his Father, connecting with people who understand him. But he went away to pray. Right? And while he prayed, these things happened. And again, Jesus was connecting with people all the time. And I believe he connected with God probably all the time. But there's a special moment here of encouragement. And he's reminded of who he is, that he's chosen, his identity. When we spend time with God, often we can get reminded of who we are. Right, that were loved by God. Hey, this is my son. This is my daughter. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. Chosen. Not lucky, not unlucky, not random, but chosen. The father said, hey, this is my son I've chosen. And as he prayed, right, there's this transformation. And I believe that as we, as we pray, there's an opportunity for transformation to take place, for restoration to take place. And I think of this idea for rest that Jesus needed here. He needed to connect. He needed to get away from his, his, his work. 
Right? But that also took work to get up the mountain. It took intentionality. It took time. It took presence. And a lot of times a deep spiritual experience, if we want these kind of encounters, it takes a little bit of work on our part. Getting that real rest, leaning into God, it takes a little work. It takes effort. Right? Hearing from God, it takes work. Seeking can take, take work. Right? And I think a lot of us need rest. <laughs> I know we all need rest, but some of you need more rest than others at this time. have been going through it. Like the exhaustion sets in, it's sports and work and it's, and it's family. And I love to think about this idea that your exhaustion does not cause God irritation. Right? Your exhaustion, it's okay where you're at, but you don't want to stay there. That's, that's, now you're being called, okay, you're at this place, come to me. For I will give you what? Rest. Rest. But it takes these kind of moments sometimes. It takes a getaway. It takes intentionality. It could be five minutes. It could be a half day. It could be a retreat. It could just be getting to, to, to Sundays and being present here, not thinking about 200 other things. But this rest takes work. Uh, Mike and Daniel uh, Aske, many of you know them and, and their story. And this is, if you don't know them, they're a... Uh, tr- gosh, church family of ours, close to our church. Uh, they, they, they lost uh, their little girl last summer on vacation. They're doing, on family vacation. They lost her six-year-old in just a um, heartbreaking, tragic moment. And so they're coming up on a year anniversary of that. And we're going to take some time to, to, to reflect on and pray for them, whether you know them or not. Um, but they're, they're striving for some rest right now. And they've actually planned a trip to Hawaii. They're leaving uh, Monday morning, getting away from activities of Independence Day and the 4th here. And they're working toward that. Right? They're working toward that place because it doesn't come easy. And Danielle, uh, Mike, my, Amy and I were spending some time with Mike and, and Danielle this week. And she actually has a letter she wanted me to read to you guys. Um, and just, I'll just read it. It says this. Dear new family, For 12 months, the shock of our life being turned upside down from losing our magical maves has rendered us speechless. We've been physically unable to thank and sometimes even recognize all the ways you have been the hands and feet of Jesus to our family. The amount of prayer this church has lifted up on behalf is astounding. For the past year, we haven't been able to pray much more than God help us on repeat. But we took solace in knowing that you all were praying when we didn't have the words. You showed up with meals, gifts, encouraging text messages, treats, lots and lots of treats, and the offerings of your time. Most of the time, you were asked to leave generous, excuse me, most of the time you were asked to leave generous and kind offerings at our doorstep as we hid behind closed doors because our grief was too raw to have on display. The social in the park following Mabel's service was unbelievable, a true glimpse into heaven. A thank you note such as this isn't nearly big enough way to encompass how grateful we were on that day and every day since to be blessed with this community. From the deepest part of our hearts, thank you for carrying us during our darkest days. We love you and are so lucky to call you our church family, Team Aske. So I'm gonna have the worship team come up and we're gonna sing out a song. We're gonna have a moment of communion and you may be in a place right now where you're just feeling, I can't, I'm like, you're like maybe I'm, maybe you're like that. Like I can't barely pray myself. So I, I would ask that you would just receive the words of this song over you. But if you're in a place where you can pray, where you can stand in the gap, this, this song talks about who God is, who God still is, even in the midst of stuff, even in the midst of darkness. 
You're being mindful of this family as they, and they need, they need some rest right now. Uh, they need a break. This will be the, the last of the first as they cycle through this year. And we just don't want to stop. We want to keep covering them, keep them, keep them going. So we'll start to, start to play a little music. There's communion stuff on, uh, over here and over here, self-serve. Um, there are uh, crackers, gluten-free crackers, I believe. Uh, and today we're just going to dip it into the, into the juice, take the element of the bread and dip it into the juice. If you have um, kids might need help with that, so there's like less hands in the juice. So we'll try to do cracker in the juice, cracker in the juice only. Uh, grab that, come back to your seat, and just, just, just be thoughtful, be prayerful. And we're going to sing this song together when we come back, and then we'll take the elements uh, at the end of the song. So, yeah. You're still God with its heart.